Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Corey, this is a really exciting time in the world of artificial intelligence. Really exciting if you're into that sort of thing. Well, doing the research for this episode uh, was really interesting to me. I'll tell you what, I kind of geeked out. But this is something that we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And now seems like the right time to discuss it because there's so much going on in the world of AI. But there's a lot to talk about here, and so it's going to take some time. In fact, we're planning to split this into two different episodes, a part one and part two, covering different aspects of AI. Yeah, that's right. So this first episode is going to be more about the practical and sort of imminent applications of AI that we're seeing happen right now and that will happen in the very sort of immediate future. This episode is not going to be about sci-fi fantasy ideas of AI that will be next episode. Um, there's a lot of talk around whether or not AI will ever reach a degree of intelligence that could be considered you know, the singularity. We're not going to touch that here. We will get into that in the next episode. So this episode's, to me, mostly about when I was doing my research, it felt like the dystopian present and future that AI is involved in. And there are so many aspects to it. We're not going to be able to touch on all of them. We've picked a few very pertinent things that we think are especially important to understand. And again, like always, it's important to emphasize that Kellen and I are not experts on the topic. We've done our research here. AI has been something that has interested us both over time, 
but we've tried to organize some information very simply just to to make it clear where we stand with AI and what direction we feel like the world is headed and what dangers that poses to us. And I think one thing is clear, and that is that artificial intelligence is going to play a big part in the future. It will have a major impact. It already is having an impact, but as we go forward, it'll be an increasingly large impact on society. And so with all of the factors that we've talked about up to this point regarding collapse, artificial intelligence uh, plays a major part here. And I think most people, when they think of AI, they're thinking of something they saw in a movie, like 2001 Space Odyssey, right? And iRobot. Yeah, iRobot or like Jarvis with Iron Man in the Marvel Universe. And it makes sense that that's where people get the idea and, and is kind of their understanding of it. But really, artificial intelligence encompasses a lot. A lot of things get thrown into that broader category. So one way that it's defined is it's the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. Another definition is that artificial intelligence leverages computers and machines to mimic the problem-solving and decision-making capabilities of the human mind. And depending on how deep we want to go here, there are typically four different categories they talk about reactive machines, limited memory, theory of mind, self-aware AI, and there are different levels of intelligence. I think, Corey, you'll get into this a little bit, but ANI, AGI, ASI, and we can kind of plot out what the milestones are for where we're at now and where we anticipate artificial intelligence will go. Yeah, and Kellen, I like that you pointed out that Hollywood likes to sort of anthropomorphize AI, right? They make it feel human-like. And not just Hollywood, but even like you think of Siri, right? Siri is an AI. And we hear Siri as this nice, helpful, informative, friendly girl voice. But it's important to remember you're, you're not talking to a person when you're talking to Siri. You're talking to a computer, a system. And I'll just say there that it's interesting watching my kids grow up in a world with AI. We have an Amazon Alexa, you know, portable speaker in our house. And I think it's hard for my young children to distinguish as they ask Alexa to do something and she doesn't quite understand. They get kind of frustrated with her and interact with her like she is a person. And it's understandable that's how these systems are designed to interact with us. Yeah, that's right. And they're getting better at it. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about, you just mentioned there's sort of three different calibers of AI. The first is ANI. So what we are experiencing right now, all AI is ANI. We haven't reached the next two calibers yet. ANI stands for artificial narrow intelligence, or sometimes it's called weak AI. And basically what this is, is it's AI that is designed to do a specific task. So you think of like a chess bot, right? You're playing a game of chess against a computer. It has been taught how to be good at chess. Or you think of like a GPS who tells you the most efficient route to get from A to B. That's its job. These types of AI are really good at performing a specific task, but they haven't yet reached the level of AGI or ASI. AGI is the second. It's artificial general intelligence. It's also called strong AI. And that's basically once an AI can do everything a human can do. And there's a huge difference between 
what you and I can do intellectually and what right now an AI can do. We're not going to go into that deeply in this episode. That's something we're going to talk more about in the next episode that we do next week. But just keep in mind, AGI is basically a human level machine. And then there's ASI, which is artificial super intelligence, which is, you know, a machine that could be anywhere from a hundred to a trillion times smarter than human beings. You've probably heard the term singularity before. We're talking about this level of AI, which is something we have not gotten close to accomplishing. Okay, good. So now that we have kind of an introduction to AI, you know, we mentioned that it's very relevant right now. There have been some big advances. And that's because one example of artificial intelligence is something that was launched or at least released this year called ChatGPT. And if you haven't heard of it yet, you might be living under a rock because it seems like there's so much buzz around this topic. So ChatGPT, it's a language model chatbot. And it has this way of interacting in kind of a, a conversational dialogue. So you can type a question and it will provide responses and it will do it in a very human way. So it can do poems, songs. You can ask it to tell you a story in the style of a specific author and it can mimic their style. You know, chat GPT has been called by some the most important tool since modern search engines. Many people see it as kind of the next level. So you think of going to Google and in the Google search bar, you can type out a question and it'll point you to a bunch of resources. Whereas chat GPT, you ask it a question and it will give you an informed response and it'll do it in a way that's easy to understand. Right. Instead of returning 44.3 million responses, you know, then you go through and you decide which source you want to look from. You ask it a question and it responds with the answer to your question as if you had asked a friend knowledgeable on the topic. And it does it in an extremely fast manner, right? It can give you an essay in a matter of like 10 seconds. Yeah. And honestly, it's incredible. Uh, it's It's kind of fun to play with. In doing the research for this, it's the first time that I have actually tried it out. You know, it's been developed by this group, OpenAI. It's based on something called GPT 3.5, which apparently GPT 3 has 175 billion parameters and it's been trained on 570 gigabytes of text. Which, by the way, Kellen, just to throw this out there, one gigabyte of text is roughly 678,000 pages. So we could take that 678,000 and multiply it by 570 gigabytes, and we'd get 386 million pages of text. So we're talking about a lot of information. Yeah, and, and they use the word trained, which makes it sound like it's a human or an animal, but they've trained it on all of this information from the internet. They've used sources like Reddit discussions. And it's all to help it learn a human style of dialogue. It's where it learned all its dirty language was from Reddit for sure. Well, they have put a lot of safeguards in place to make sure the information isn't toxic or harmful. It's not a perfect system though. Yeah, just as an example, you and I asked it kind of a spicy question. We asked, when will we start eating the rich? And I thought it had kind of an interesting response. Basically said, Violent, you know, I talked about how violence is not appropriate and it, it kind of went off on like, there's better ways to do things. And it talked about what 
the metaphor eating the rich really meant. And anyway, it was just interesting because it was a very political response, right? It was very PC. Yeah. And one way to kind of better understand chat GPT is when you think about like sending a text from a phone and there's predictive text, right? It can kind of guess the next word. Chat GPT does that, but just at a very advanced level. But it's not the only one out there. There are so many of these AI tools that have been emerging. Google has created a chat bot called Lambda. And where GPT-3 that chat GPT is built on is focused on generating language text, Lambda is focused on generating dialogue. Before we started recording this episode, Corey and I watched a YouTube video where somebody has a, a Google assistant talking to another Google assistant. And it's kind of comical to see the way that two robots basically interact with each other. But there were a lot of demonstrations in these last couple of years from Google where they're showing like, hey, look, if you you can tell Google to go schedule a haircut for you and Google can actually call the salon and talk with a person and work through the nuances there and, and schedule something for you. But chat GPT, it can do some pretty incredible things. You can ask it to write an essay. It can give you like the outline for a novel. If you want, you can ask it to give you a personalized workout plan. You know, you can say, hey, I want to work out this many times a week. Here's what I'm aiming for. And it can give you a whole plan. It can give you meal plans. Like it will give you meal ideas and include recipes and even the grocery list for what you need to go buy at the store or a personalized travel itinerary or a customized study plan or relationship advice or help planning a party. So as I was playing with this tool, I'll tell you, Corey, some of the questions that I asked it. You can tell me if you want to hear any of these answers. Sure. I asked it, how likely is it that industrialized society will collapse in the coming decades? What did it say? Hold on. Let me give you a few options. Okay. All right. I also asked, can we fix climate change or is it too late? I asked, my friend and I host a podcast and are eager to expand what we offer, but we are busy with jobs, family, etc., and can't seem to find the time. What do you recommend? I asked, can AI be used to invent new technologies to fix climate change? I asked, what are some of the dangerous ways in which AI may be used if not properly regulated? I asked, what is causing so much political contention in the United States? For each of these questions, in a matter of seconds, I mean, it was maybe like six, seven seconds. It gave me multiple paragraph long answers. I even asked it, I said, please write a poem about the collapse of industrialized society. And because I thought the poem was kind of fun, I then said, please write a rap about societal collapse. Now, it would take us a long time for me to read through all of those responses. But did any of those resonate with you? Or those, are there any of those that you're like, I want to hear what chat GPT would say about that? Yeah, I want to know what it said about what you and I should do at the podcast. Okay, yeah, that's a great example to just kind of demonstrate what kind of an answer it gives. So again, my question was about the fact that there's a lot we want to do with the podcast, but we're really busy with jobs and family and can't seem to find the time. ChatGPT said, it can be challenging to find the time to work on a podcast when you have other commitments such as a job and family. However, there are a few strategies you can try to help you find the time to work on your podcast. One, Set aside dedicated time for your podcast. Choose a specific day and time each week when you can focus on your podcast. Make sure to block out this time on your calendar so you can't be interrupted by other commitments. Two, make the most of your time. Look for ways to streamline your podcasting process so you can get more done in less time. 
This might include using templates or pre-written scripts, outsourcing tasks that you don't have time for, or using automation tools to save time. Three, find a partner. Consider finding someone to work on your podcast with you. This could be a co-host, a producer, or someone else who can help you share the workload and make the most of your time. Four, set realistic goals. Don't try to do too much at once. Set small achievable goals for each podcast episode and focus on consistently meeting those goals rather than trying to do everything at once. By following these strategies, you can find the time to work on your podcast and expand what you offer even with busy schedules. So again, it gave me all of that in a matter of like five seconds. Yeah, it's impressive. You know, I mean, they're pretty straightforward, simple answers, but they are ones that uh, you could see someone writing an article and kind of curating that list. But if I were to write that list, if someone asked me the questions, it would take me 15 minutes to put that together. Um, it took the chat 15 seconds, right? Or five seconds. So yeah, I mean, overall, it's a pretty cool, impressive tool. And there are definitely some things that are controversial about it. For example, people quickly learned that chat GPT could be used to easily win coding contests. There have been a lot of complaints already about teachers finding out that their students used it to write essays. Man, if that was around when I was in college or high school, like what a temptation to just tell it to write me an essay. Yeah, and there's a lot going on there in the world of education because it can, you, you can even specify how many words you want it to write and it can give you a very coherent essay that would probably get an A in any sort of a high school or college class like we said, in a matter of seconds. And so some are talking about, like, well, we just need to adapt. It's like doing arithmetic classes before calculators and after calculators. Others are uh, very resistant to that. But the claim has been made that what homework looks like in the educational system has been changed forever because of this tool. To me, what's especially interesting, this is going outside of chat GPT specifically, but you may have heard of MidJourney. This is a tool that can be used to create art. And this is kind of taking the art world by storm. In fact, this year, the Colorado State Fair had an annual art competition and one individual, his name is Jason M. Allen, won the competition with a pretty incredible piece of art that was generated by artificial intelligence using MidJourney. So Kellen, you know, this makes me think about, just a, just a minute ago, you said that this is kind of changing the whole way we look at homework and how it's like arithmetic being done before calculators and after. Homework, when I was in high school, you could use a calculator. A lot of times they let you have access to the answers in the back of the book. But there is a difference to me between having a tool that helps you uh, come to the answer faster and one that stifles creativity. And so you're, you're talking about, you know, a writing assignment, an essay you're supposed to write. That's a creative process. It's something that you're supposed to come up with yourself. You're trying to exercise your creative muscles. And by allowing a, an AI to do that for you, you're skipping that over completely and you're cheating yourself out of the opportunity to become more creative, right? It's, I think is what the argument is, and I tend to agree with. And now you're talking about art, which is a whole, I mean, it, it's basically the same idea, but in this case, you're talking about somebody who submitted art that was created via an AI and won a contest for it. And what we're about to get to 
is the fact that that art is actually stolen from someone else, a real artist. And again, there's so much controversy there, right? Because some see it as just a tool. Uh, if you are personally, you know, an artist just painting on a canvas, you're using all of your inputs. You know, you've got certain people that you've been inspired by that you're trying to mimic their art or certain styles that you're you're going after, things that you've seen or experienced that you want to be able to portray visually. And some would claim that's just the same thing that's happening here. You're giving it all these inputs and it's helping you to create. Well, you know, in some cases, depending on how you give those inputs, you know, I saw an example where somebody wanted to create art that mimicked a certain artist's style. And because all of the paintings that were given as inputs for the AI to use to create this new painting had the artist's signature on it, the actual painting created by the AI also included that artist's signature. And it was, I, I was going to bring up this example as well. I don't know if it's the same one you're talking about, but there have been examples of the art coming through with like disfigured signatures. The, the signature is still there, but it's been bent out of shape and changed by the AI as if it was trying to sort of, you know, hide it or, or do whatever the AI does. But in reality, it just, yeah, it just shows you we're looking at somebody else's art. And yeah, maybe there's not always a signature involved. And it's a certain, you know, maybe it's a hundred different variations or deviations down the pathway of that person's art, but it's taking an image that they have put online, maybe even for sale, right? And then that AI comes in and says, I'll take that, take this piece from it that I really like, or this style or these brush strokes or whatever, and create my own version based on what someone else has asked me to do. And in the end, there is zero compensation to that artist. And there's even potentially and, and very likely a decrease in demand for that artist's work. They're no longer, no one's going to pay them for their art when they can go create a similar AI version of it themselves. Sorry, and I, I shouldn't say no one's going to pay for it. There are, of course, many like purists who are going to continue to pay for it. But the average person now has access to the style of art they want for free. Right. And I like to speak to both sides of this, just like I always do. But for me personally, it's a sensitive thing because I really enjoy art. I like to do art. It's something that's a big deal in my family. You know, my sister has a fine arts degree and is a really talented painter. And she has spent years and years, you know, mastering her craft. And then on a single canvas, she might spend hundreds of hours. And then to think that in a matter of seconds, essentially a robot, right? This, this, AI can just mimic that is quite deflating. And uh, understandably, it makes artists very upset. In fact, on several major platforms, there's been kind of this protest, whereas, you know, artists profile picture, they're all posting a symbol saying no to AI art, and that they don't want any artificial intelligence art allowed on those platforms. There's a lot to sort through there. How do you monitor that? Right. And, and, you know, enforce that. And that's basically what's happened. So on deviant art is one of them. Art station is another art station came out and basically said after, after they announced, Hey, like your stuff's available to AI and everyone freaked out about it. They came back and they tried to respond to that in a bunch of ways that didn't solve the problem. And then they even admitted like, okay, you can 
post, you know, you can put in a hashtag or something that says that it can't be used by AI, but we don't really have a way to monitor or assure you that that's actually going to happen sort of thing. And these are like, these are serious, very prominent portfolio sites where people get, you know, chosen for projects. Um, companies like Disney and Pixar and all these other places find artists to help out from those sites. And, uh, and now you kind of see their intellectual property, their, their copyrighted property up for grabs. Yeah. And I even watched an entire YouTube video just because I was fascinated where somebody said, I'm going to show you how to use Midjourney to have it basically create a website for you. And it's going to be a really impressive website. And this individual goes in and says, you know, they, they give the right input saying like, it's a shoe company and I want it to be kind of Nike style. And I'd like it to include some of these colors. And in a matter of seconds, it creates this very professional looking design, right? And, and then he's like, here's how you go ahead and have it write up the content for you. And again, in a matter of seconds, very well worded, you know, stylized writing that you would see on a website. To me, I was just blown away by it. And, you know, at least with mid journey, it kind of gives you four options and then you can change your inputs, change kind of your, your query so that it refines it. And so you can refine and refine until you get exactly what you're looking for. But I think where that leads us, Corey, is the fear that so many people have, the disruption that this is going to cause potentially to the economy because some claim that it will replace humans, that it's a way for a lot of people to lose their jobs because why hire a person and pay a person to do that when in much less time and for basically none of the cost, you can have artificial intelligence do that. Yeah, you know, you think about art and you think about websites and some of these things we've talked about, you know, copywriting, and it's like, okay, like these are very convenient tools to use. On one hand, it's very cool. On the other hand, it sucks that it's ruining the creative process. It's changing the culture of art. It could be putting a lot of those people sort of out of their freelance positions. And, but that's exactly where it leads and where it becomes really collapse related, I think, is what does this do? The potential of this um, to our economy, to the future of jobs, or I should say, I guess more relevant would be joblessness, because we are already starting to see AI and robots starting to really replace many in the workforce. Yeah, and there are so many opinions about that because people compare it to any sort of technological advancement in the past, and they say it's not that there's not going to be jobs, it's just going to be that the jobs are different. So, in 2020, the World Economic Forum released what they called the Future of Jobs Report 2020. And they predicted that AI would replace 85 million jobs worldwide by 2025. Wow. Three years from now, five years from when that was released. Yeah, but the report also said that it will create 97 million new jobs in that same time frame. Interesting. And you might think to yourself, how is it possible that that many new jobs will come from AI? And one comment I found from somebody named Sean Chow, who's the CEO of an AI startup. He says, the number of people that are necessary to deliver better and better technology grows massively. So you move from worrying about the impact of high technology to actually helping to create the technology. When you look at AI, 
There's this nonstop need for training, for data, for maintenance, for taking care of all the exceptions that are happening. How do we monitor AI? How do we train it? How do we make sure that AI is not running amok? Those are all going to become new jobs. Yikes. So for me, that's a big yikes. 90, so we're going to take 87 or something million jobs and create 97 million jobs. And it's like, it's basically saying, all right, you were a creative, you were an artist, you were, um, maybe you were an office worker or a copywriter, whatever it was that you were, a worker at McDonald's, we're now going to take you from that job. And all the millions of you that want jobs now can work in, like in front of a computer, working on the AI. One of the reasons, maybe a lot of people are interested in that. I don't think, you know, the entire world wants to be sitting in an office job. So many people thrive off of the ability to do creative work. But where it really gets me is the idea that as AI becomes more prevalent and replaces jobs, it starts separating people even further from the jobs that sustain us, from the direct work that actually keeps us alive. You think about 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago, and the majority of the jobs were directly related to things like agriculture and transportation of that agriculture and, and things that directly helped people live. Today, it's just not the case, right? So many people, the majority of people working are doing things somewhere along the supply chain, right? In some very, very specific role, specialized role. And AI doing what you've just described feels like it's going to even further separate us, just make us more reliant on the AI functioning properly. And uh, the jobs that we're doing is just to ensure that it does. It feels like an extremely fragile situation to be in when it comes to global economy and global supply chains. Yeah, you make a good point that kind of argues for both sides, right? Because with today's technology, a farmer can produce so much more food than somebody could have a couple hundred years ago. And it's not that there's less jobs, there's more, but those jobs are further removed from directly sustaining people. It's just another layer on another layer on another layer, right? So it's like instead of having 100 people working on a farm, you know, um, harvesting, for example, you've got one guy or two guys in massive tractors that are doing the harvesting. And then you have seven guys that work in the factory building the tractors, a couple that work repairing the tractors. And not for that specific farmer. They work in a company that does that for many different farmers, right? Then you have the people that work on the software for the tractor. You have the transportation companies. Anyway, that 100 people is now spread out into a bunch of very specialized fields. And AI will just further separate people from the means of our own subsistence or survival. Yeah, things just keep getting more complex, more specialized. And that comes with pros and cons, which we've discussed at length. So one thing that I found interesting is that according to Pew Research, they took a bunch of experts in the field and they surveyed them to see what they think about whether AI will actually replace a bunch of jobs or not. I was fascinated that it was so split. So about half, 48%, felt that robots and digital agents will displace a significant number of blue and white collar jobs. The other half, 52%, expect robotics and AI to create more jobs than they take. So that's like experts in the field 
nobody really knows, right? It's split right down the middle. But most can agree that if you're in customer service, you know, all these chatbots that are being developed are probably going to take a lot of those jobs. Bookkeeping and data entry, receptionists, proofreading, manufacturing and pharmaceutical work, retail service, courier services, doctors, even has been mentioned, soldiers, taxi and bus drivers, security guards. I mean, there's just a list of jobs that many of these individuals anticipate will be replaced by AI and robotics. So if I'm a taxi driver and suddenly one day I get the word from my taxi company or maybe I'm a freelance driver, a gig a gig driver, and I find out that I, it's no longer viable for me because suddenly there's all these self-driving cars. But they tell me, don't worry because we've created a bunch of jobs managing AI. Am I suddenly, you know, maybe this taxi driver who like maybe I have a basic high school education, I didn't go to college. I'm just going to be accepted into one of these new jobs. Like I get that it's creating more jobs, but is it creating jobs for the people from whom it's taking those jobs? And I'm not expecting you to have an answer, Kellen. It's just a, it's just a question I'm asking. Well, and and it is discussed at length. Like Amazon is doing this program where a big portion of their workforce, they're going to offer to train them, you know, in some of these ways, kind of like what you're talking about. But there's a lot of skepticism about that. A lot, a lot of people say that's just more of a publicity stunt to try to make people feel okay about the fact that many of their jobs are going to be replaced by robots. And again, this is just another rhetorical question, and maybe I'm just not thinking about the economics of it correctly. But if you tell me the purpose of AI in this case is to be more efficient, to remove the cost of human labor from a process, then how is creating more jobs and more higher paying jobs? Because now we're not paying someone to be a taxi driver, we're paying them to be an AI management expert, right? It's probably a higher paying job. How is that saving money? Is it just that the process itself becomes more efficient? So there's room for more growth. And so maybe the output per dollar is less is maybe where that's going. But it just seems it seems a little counterintuitive to me to say, we're removing jobs in one place and putting them in another and paying you more to do them. Yeah. And that gets to, you know, kind of the dark side of this AI. Sometimes people think like, now that we've got these chatbots that can do our customer service for us, now everyone's going to make a lot more money. We can just produce a lot more and that's going to work out well with everybody. Unfortunately, that's probably not the case. This is just another opportunity to widen the wealth gap. You know, Chat GPT is something that I can go in and use for free right now, but there's already discussion about the future of it and how they're going to monetize. There's chances that they will charge people to use that. So here's this tool that a lot of resources went into. I think I saw that Microsoft invested like a billion dollars into it or something like that. And so this tool is now owned by the wealthy and it's a way for them to, you know, make more money from anyone else who needs to use it to do their job. And no, I don't think that if you're a taxi cab driver, you can just suddenly go get an, an advanced degree in like data science or engineering and just suddenly replace your job. And sure, somebody could do that if they have the time, if they have the money to go get that education and then work their way into that career field. But I think the reality is a lot of people 
their jobs will be disrupted. They will be replaced. And I think that's going to just allow the ultra wealthy to maximize their margins even further. And so I think we'll see that K curve with wealth disparity just continue because of artificial intelligence. And this is a process that's already started, right? This this isn't some like AI sci-fi fantasy of the future. This is already happening in some ways subtle, in some ways very obvious. The advancement of robotics and AI with robotics together is kind of using the know-how part from the AI mixed with the physical part of the robot, putting them together, and you basically can replace human tasks. You know, I recently saw that a McDonald's opened up that was completely employee-less. It's just a building where you can go, machines make your food. It's all done without any employees on site. I think it's a pilot program. We'll see how it works out. If it's profitable for them, if it, if it works out, then we might start seeing that happen everywhere. Yeah, it makes me think about, you know, if I go to Walmart right now, it used to be that there were a bunch of lines where I would have a clerk, somebody at the cash register checking out my groceries. Now, at least here at our local Walmart, they have changed all of that. There are a few lines you can go through where there's actually a person but it's almost exclusively self-checkout where you go scan your own stuff and they have one employee that's kind of just monitoring like 20 of these stations at a time. Yep, that one employee plus the cameras. I'm sure you've noticed the cameras looking at you from every different angle, capturing your face, capturing everything else. And that takes us into this next part, moving on from um, job loss to surveillance. So this is really interesting to me because there's so much going on. I just took a few specific examples of things that have been happening recently with surveillance and policing through AI. You know, if you wanted to take things from a more sci-fi, iRobot sort of angle, there are stories like those of San Francisco, which recently passed a measure allowing police to use killer robots, basically robots mounted with explosives or other weapons designed to kill a suspect if necessary. And by if necessary, I mean if the police determine that that's necessary. Now, the decision was reversed shortly after because of outcry from citizens. And by reversed, I mean it's on hold. So who knows what the future of that will be. But it is pretty wild to think about the fact that a large city like San Francisco almost had this capability to use robots. Now, in this case, the robots would not have been equipped with AI. They would have been controlled via remote by a human but to me, it's definitely a slippery slope, right? You can imagine that a police department first allows human-controlled killer robots, basically in order to keep officers from any danger. You can think of how drones are used right now in the Middle East. This puts a barrier between the killer and the suspect or the victim, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. So it's easier to separate yourself from the murder when you're not actually present. You're just pulling a trigger. It's like you're playing a video game, basically. After that, the next step is for a city to use facial recognition software and AI using cameras around the city to locate suspects. And when you plug those two together, right, you're suddenly in a sci-fi future. Which on that note, I know that there's a lot of that going on, especially in China. And especially as there's, there have been some recent protests in China these facial recognition cameras that are posted all over the place help them quickly identify the perpetrators. Yeah, that's just it. Facial recognition is not something 
new. It's not something that we're like looking at as happening in the future. It is happening now. So these types of sort of leaps from one use of AI to another to another, they're not huge leaps. It can take one vote from a city council to say, yes, we approve this. Go, go ahead and start doing it. We've talked in, uh, you know, in the past about how policing during collapse, how the overseer class will likely dwindle as they realize that they're serving the very elites that are oppressing them and, and people like them. So it doesn't seem like too much of a stretch for me to imagine, you know, elites in order to keep what they call law and order will go to more desperate measures to maintain control. San Francisco did recently approve a measure, this was in September of this year, 2022, that allows police to view video from privately owned surveillance cameras within the city limits, up to 24 hours of live streaming without a warrant. So you've got a ring camera on your porch and the police want to use it. The city council voted to allow them to be able to do that. They can and have used that footage to monitor events like protests or parades, as well as evidence to issue tickets for minor misdemeanors like jaywalking. So if the city really wanted to, they could they could say, we caught you on a doorbell camera crossing the street where there wasn't a crosswalk. Here's your fine. But we really don't have to look, like you just mentioned, Kellen, at this like potential future of what it could be to see how it's being done around the world. You mentioned China. Um, one example that I wanted to share was in India. AI has been exploding as a tool for surveillance there. Um, there's a city called Hyderabad. It experienced a series of terrorist attacks in 2013, and after that, they immediately installed 5,000 cameras around the city to help surveil. Today, just nine years later, there are more than 700,000 cameras in the metropolitan area of Hyderabad, all of which the police have access to. To put it into perspective, the metro population of Hyderabad is 10,500,000, so that means that there's one camera for every 15 people in the city. They are utilizing, like you just mentioned, AI facial recognition software to search from a database of criminals. They're also giving traffic tickets and tickets for disobeying mask mandates. So they're able to say, like, from these cameras, oh, that person, that person, that person don't have masks. Facial recognition, we're able to find who they are, send them a ticket to their home. How highly efficient. Yes, and the police commissioner there is very proud. Here's from an article on the topic, it says officers also can use facial recognition software to scan pictures against a criminal database. Police officers have access to an app called TSCOP on their smartphones and tablets that include facial recognition scanning capabilities. The police commissioner says, if we need to control crime, we need to have surveillance. He also expressed surprise that any law-abiding citizen would object. I thought this was interesting the article says that Hyderabad has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on patrol vehicles, CCTV cameras, facial recognition, and geo-tracking applications, and several hundred facial recognition cameras, among other technologies. The investment has helped the state attract more private and foreign investment, including Apple's Development Center, inaugurated in 2016, and a major Microsoft data center announced in March. The government has promoted smart policing through drones, AI-enabled CCTV cameras, and facial recognition. It's a blueprint that has garnered support across the political spectrum and seeped into states across India. So we don't know what the future of AI in surveillance and policing is or what the timeline will look like, but it is very hard for me to imagine that the governments of the world will be able to resist the temptation of using technology, however it can, to maintain control 
especially as we accelerate through collapse. As elites struggle to maintain control, as situations get worse, as law and order do break down, as societal unrest increases because people are losing their jobs, maybe partially or or majorly due to AI, there's an increase in homelessness, a decrease in food availability, it's natural that crime will increase. And uh, yeah, I, I see a future where AI, facial recognition and surveillance is used to further be able to crack down on both petty and major crime. It kind of gives me this false uh, sense of um, PTSD, I guess, from I remember growing up watching The Truman Show and kind of having that paranoid feeling like I'm always being watched. You know, there's always cameras everywhere. And I think with all of the in-home cameras and doorbell cameras and the cameras at street lights and even if I'm outside of a, a normal neighborhood, like somebody could probably see me from a satellite. There's kind of this uh, claustrophobia where you just want to escape and get to where nobody can see you. You can't be watched. Yeah, you mentioned your Alexa earlier, you know, and I have some of those smart devices in my home too, and and most people do. And absolutely, I mean, it's we already know that Amazon and Google and these different companies are collecting information who knows for sure if they're actually listening, you know, and to what extent it will become like 1984. But we have all basically allowed for smart televisions, smart devices, smartphones, all of that into our homes, all of which are controlled by mega corporations. And these devices have the ability to track and monitor us. And it sounds a little conspiracy theory to talk that way. But I mean, we're talking about advanced AI capabilities. We're talking about governments that will become desperate to control people. And I don't think it's a big stretch. Well, while we're talking about AI in the context of collapse and specifically the really crappy parts about it, a few things that are worth mentioning, you know, going back to chat GPT, it has been programmed to not provide toxic or harmful responses. They've been careful about that, but the technology is there and anybody with malicious intent could easily, you know, spread the kind of information or disinformation that they want to spread. Even as it stands right now, sometimes it does give toxic or harmful responses. It's also just designed to give answers that sound right. It's not necessarily referencing like a single source of truth. There's even a place online that people have posted incorrect answers that they've received from chat GBT. I'll share one. Somebody asked, what mammal lays the largest eggs? Obviously, it was kind of a trick question since mammals don't lay eggs. I'll just read the first part of the answer that was posted. The mammal that lays the largest eggs is the elephant. Elephant eggs are the largest of all land animals, with some reaching up to 9 inches in length and weighing up to 5 pounds. However, elephants are not the only mammals that lay eggs. Some species of monotremes, and I don't know what it says after that, it continues. The point is that people may look to these kind of tools to be able to give them accurate information. And even with the best intentions, that's not there. Now imagine those with bad intentions using these tools. Combine the fact that AI can now interact with people in a very human-like type of dialogue. It can create fake photos. You know, AI can be used to, for example, create a bunch of fake accounts on social media that go 
post photos and make comments and spread a lot of misinformation, disinformation. Propaganda. Exactly. And that's just one example of a way that this can be used against the masses. And again, that's not a sci-fi future. We've actually seen, you know, especially with these uh, most recent presidential elections and all of uh, the information, the propaganda that was spread by foreign entities on our social media platforms. So, Kellen, I hear you mention a lot of the misinformation that can be provided through AI. And one way in which we're seeing a lot of this is through something called deep fakes. So you may be familiar with deep fakes by now. Um, the Google definition of a deep fake is a video of a person in which their face or body has been digitally altered so that they appear to be someone else typically used maliciously or to spread false information. And deep fake videos, they are starting to become pretty impressive. Um, I've seen one recently of Morgan Freeman giving a speech. Uh, it wasn't Morgan Freeman, but they were able to make him look like him, sound like him. It wasn't perfect. But if I had just kind of been casually watching, I would not have noticed that it wasn't him until I really started looking closely. Uh, there was one of a comedian named Jim Meskimen doing impersonations. And it was kind of cool because each time he would change his voice to impersonate a different actor, his face on the screen would change. And it wasn't like in this extremely controlled environment. He was just up on like a dark stage or something and his voice and his face, excuse me, would change to each person he was impersonating. Again, not perfect yet, but getting pretty impressive and a lot better. So I could basically shoot a video of myself talking to a camera, but I could give this to an AI who could supplant the face of somebody else over mine, even their voice. And one way that you can imagine this is being used quite extensively is in pornography. So, you know, someone who wants to see a certain celebrity involved in a specific sex act would be able to search that and find it online somewhere. And you get into all sorts of uh, issues with that. Or even more messed up is that people will pay sites to put like their crush into a pornographic scene. So if they have a video or a photo of someone that they like from school, for example, they could suddenly be watching something very inappropriate about that person. Now, and this is where it gets even uglier, is that this type of thing, especially as it's becoming more realistic, can be used to destroy lives, falsify evidence, give fake alibis, or potentially frame people for crimes. You've probably heard of revenge porn before, basically where maybe an ex had sent you a nude, and when they break up with you, you're vindictive and post those nudes online for people to see. But what happens if the nudes never actually happened? Right. If the ex is angry and wants to get back at you, so they simply pay someone to create a deep fake and you could post that. And real or not, the damage to your reputation may not be reversible. Or getting worse, what if in a trial, a suspect who actually committed a crime is able to provide video surveillance showing they were somewhere else when the crime was committed, basically giving an alibi? Or in the opposite case, what if the prosecutor could provide faked evidence that you were walking out of the crime scene at roughly the same time that it occurred. And perhaps to me, the ugliest, the worst of all of this with deep fakes is that as they become indistinguishable from real life, there could be a serious case made that all video evidence becomes inadmissible. You know, you can imagine it only takes a few deep fakes being used in trials for there to be a reason to distrust any video or photo evidence at all. There may be ways to check the authenticity 
But I suspect that as the technology advances, it's going to become tougher and tougher to really be able to define what's real and what's fake. So what could trials be like when evidence like that is no longer admissible? It really just, to me, creates chaos. The ability for there to be chaos in our judicial systems that allow for more crimes to, to be gotten away with and also allow for more crimes to go punished against somebody who's innocent. You know, when I think about some of the biggest scandals in American history where prominent figures, maybe politicians, have been caught saying or doing something, you know, and that's recorded and released, and that changes public opinion very quickly. And with all of the polarization that's going on, I can only imagine the way that this can be weaponized in politics and in in many other ways. And if you can't believe what you see, you can't believe what you hear, the world just gets that much more confusing. Yeah, I can imagine just as a silly example, maybe not so silly, but Donald Trump getting in front of a camera and calling for a second coup attempt, right? And afterwards, just being able to say, that wasn't me. Now, somebody created a deep fake. That wasn't me at all, right? Or alternatively, someone could actually create a convincing deep fake of the president saying that and the confusion of not knowing if it actually happened or not. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking of like Watergate. (laughs) Yeah. What if that had all been just faked audio or I did not have sexual relations with that woman? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So as interesting as AI is, and sure, there are all sorts of positive outcomes and really exciting opportunities with it. But there is just so much that we're not ready for. We're already seeing so many damaging effects when it comes to all that can be done with it. You know, some people say that AI, because it's just given the the inputs that we have available, it's basically holding up a mirror to society. And right now, what we're seeing in that mirror with AI doesn't look so good. And not only does it reflect society, but it also magnifies for good or for bad the attributes of our society. And so I feel like we've talked about a whole lot of ways that this is going to be really impactful as we move forward and collapse. I'm really excited for our next conversation, our part two of this, where we're going to be discussing what things may look like, not only for how AI is right now in the present, but as it advances even more. And boy, oh boy, that's a scary world. Yeah, if the people get their way, and by the people I mean those creating the AI, if they get what they want, what will that look like? And that's what we're going to discuss next episode. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to speaking next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.